literally that is so apt i feel like that should be the intro just that that like, literally, no more toilets that's okay i went to use the bathroom once and all of a sudden that's the first thing i, yeah. I hear when i take to the episode Hello and welcome to the Popcorn for Dinner podcast. I am your co-host for the evening, Ibube, and I'm joined by Fami. We're eating our cake that we managed to grab just before the wedding turned bloody. Fami, how are you feeling? Ah, uh, when that cake slapped, bro. It slapped. I, my one regret is I couldn't eat, I couldn't eat more. because. I mean, there was blood on the ground at some point. I, man, wasn't sure, I wasn't sure what I was eating at some point, but bro, it was sweet. <laughs> yeah, that's flavoring, man. That's flavoring. <laughs> oh, man. What an episode what an episode it's uh there are so many like points that i want to like touch on and happen there's so much happened this episode and the part that i've been most excited for all season is the time skip which is happening next episode so i'm just as excited to talk about the episode as i am to talk about the trailer for the next episode because that trailer uh, is fire you that trailer is <laughs> like it's, it's a whole new world that's coming <laughs> yeah literally so a bunch of the characters are being aged up um well not a bunch yeah a bunch actually of the characters have been aged up a few of them remain the same you know, you see pictures of Viserys. I know, okay, I've had a very anti-Viserys agenda, but after seeing him in... It's six, because of you. It's because of your agenda that that guy is not looking good. That guy is, man, is the least he looks healthy like 40-something-year-old on the planet. He is struggling. So, yeah, I'm, I'm officially putting away my Viserys agenda. I'm recanting all the, the bad things I've said, you know, and I wish him a speedy recovery. Okay, how about we do a quick recap of the events of the episode? Would you like to sure. go ahead? Yeah. Uh, so obviously there's a lot of stuff that happened. I usually try and go chronologically and we will, but just before I, we go chronologically, I have to ask the question. Is Kristen a simp? Hmm. Is it giving incel, 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 incel vibes? Well, I don't do know. Do you think he listens to Andrew Tate? Cause I, kind of <laughs> <think so. laughs> I mean, I don't know if he, if, if we can label him an incel, um, seeing as he chose the life, the life didn't choose him. <laughs> but um, I will, I will say that um, he's a little bit misguided in sort of a cute way. But it, it's kind of a reminder of how the world works in the in this show that we're watching. Right in George R. R. Martin's world, fantasy tropes are subverted when the knight in literal shining white armor comes up to the literal princess to be like run away with me she's like bro that's inconvenient <laughs> you know she's not like of course because sure they could they could live an interesting life in essos um people might not know them she could dye her hair you know he is already someone who's used to being on the fringes so i think they could they could kind of make something like that work but i feel like she sort of doesn't do it not because she doesn't necessarily want to, but because she is now in a position where she truly is starting to understand that the duty of the Iron Throne is something that looms larger than her, something that is more extensive than just the desire for power and control. It is about the fate of the universe because the White Walkers are a thing, um, which of course draws a lot to something from the previous episode that we didn't quite talk about last time, which is the fact that Aegon had the cat's paw dagger carved. You know, he had that sort of 
engraved in such a way that you would only see it in Farron. It says, from my blood comes the prince that was promised. Now, of course, we know that the prince that was promised in this situation is somewhere between Daenerys and Jon. Mostly Jon, I suppose. But then, you know, things kind of start to get messy when you realize it was Arya who used the dagger, even though Jon brought the people together, like the prophecy said. It's, it's a whole thing. But, you know, that's, I think when she sees that dagger, when she sees that inscription, she starts to understand that, okay, I may not want to get married, but there are real things here that I need to pay attention to. And maybe it's time to stop messing around. Yeah. I think she sort of changes a tiny bit. She's still the same, but she changes a tiny bit. Of course, in terms of changes, I think Alicent has now become the person that you and I know her to be. But yeah. I guess um, in, in normal Ibu and family fashion, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to talk about um, Alison. Okay, wait, sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you guys. Okay. Yeah. And I don't want to hijack your episode, but I'm making an executive decision because I have, <laughs> I have hashtag thoughts about Sir Christine Pussycole. <laughs> I, have, I have thoughts. I, look, you guys, if you guys are, not, you guys are listening behind the scenes, family and we have a lot of, they do their research, they have their notes, they plan everything. <laughs> And I'm sorry, I just, I just have to, just quickly, I just have to get off my Mad thing. Look, <laughs> every, every scene this guy had in this episode annoyed me more than the previous scene. You can't blame I him already, for being that. You think oh, he's a simp, but... Trust me, I can. I can okay, blame him. Fine, let's blame from, him. Let's blame him a little. From, from the boat, from the boat scene, I was already angry. And that was like 10 minutes into the episode. I was already angry with him. Really? Look, I like the boat scene. Like, you miss all the shots you don't take. Everything after that was... Buckley is onto something because I actually have one issue with that boat scene. It's like, okay, you want to discuss this and you want us to keep it secret. Why are you coming out in your shirt sleeves, my brother? We've discussed, Kristen, that you need to be afraid for your life. Like we bo- both of us told you last week, be afraid for your life. And you're not coming. You're just coming out in your shirt sleeves from your room <laughs> to come and talk to the princess, and then be standing closer, looking giggly and romantic. I'm not even gonna <laughs> lie. People can hear you. Number one. That's a that's a good point, but it was like bottom of my list. Look, I apologize. I'm about to be crass, but like this is why. <laughs> This is why both women should not give shitty niggas pussy. What are you doing? Are you mad? <laughs> I am the future queen and you're coming to ask me to yeah. run away with you. Are you crazy? I have things to do and people to rule over. How can you? And he's like, you want me to be my, you want, to be, you want me to be your whore? Yes. If not, yeah, go away. What is wrong with you? You can't be angry at me for wanting to rule my kingdom. I was so angry with this man. Like he, he does so have angry. quite a bit of solid nerve, I guess, to kind of be like, hey, our relationship has to be above board and non-existent. Like it's almost as if it didn't occur to him that that he that she could say non-existent. Let's go live with with oranges. What the fuck? He, I was like, are you ma-? like? Hey man, he's confident in his stroke game. That's it. Okay, but if he's not confident, he'll be begging for her to go and live on a, <laughs> on a boat with oranges. And I was like, oh my God. Then after that, his next scene is that <laughs> um, Alison, who by the way, I have thoughts on as well. Okay, yeah, that's, that's where he annoyed me. Alison is like, I heard, and he's like, oh yes, it's true, ma'am. Everything. You know, as soon as he did, I screamed. I was like, are you dumb? I haven't even told you what I heard yet. Like, and oh, What is it with people answering questions they have not been asked? I've been shouting about this for no, years. No, no, okay, okay, okay. But on that one, but on that one, he was scared. Yes, we told you be afraid for your life, but that doesn't mean be stupid. Fam- Come on, family. Two questions. One question: What changes if he says yes, it was me at the point he did, or if he waits for her to actually say, "Did you do this?" and then answer? Because like, 
Because Bankole, I'm here for chaos. That's it. <laughs> oh yes, no, it was from a certain point of view. But oh, as, yes. as an individual, Kristen Cole, I was like, "What are you doing?" Let I, I knew it was going to different from that scene. I was like, "This is what's going to happen in this scene," See, and I was angry about Kristen it. Kristen called me. Kristen called me. He called you, and he told <laughs> he told me that Afam, I need to make a decision now, and I just told him, "Bro, <laughs> chaos. I don't Before want chaos. peace." Our problem. <laughs> if you had asked me, I'd have just said, you know what, just wear your armor because they might throw you overboard after such a stupid statement. <laughs> to be honest. Like, I'm, I'm glad that you're thinking ahead, but this was not the way to go about so that. That's, that's my There's thing. something that, it, this is in, in true Bankole fashion, I can never talk about one show, talking about another show. There's something that happens in the industry season two finale. And when A.U. and I were talking about it, we mentioned a reason, like, that's, there's something that happens that we know how a character did not go to boarding school. This is how I know Christine Cole did not go to Nigerian boarding school. Because you wait for the acquisition to come and then you double down on the lie. You don't Yo. just come out in front of it before anything. I was... Oh, you guys don't Bro, know how anybody who knows me knows that like I was shouting when this happened because you do not answer questions you have not been asked. Like, like, that is oh just... Like, it's, no, it's rule number one. <laughs> oh my... She literally just gave you pussy like two days ago and now you're acting... You're wilding out so much. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I, I could not believe it. I saw he wants to flog this guy. <laughs> so this leads us back to the first question. Is Christian a simp? <laughs> he actually wants he to flog an this guy. And does he follow Andrew Tate? Oh, no, he's, def- <laughs> he's definitely an incel. He's definitely an incel. He, I don't think he's a simp because if he was a simp, he, would, he wouldn't have like lied. He wouldn't have, he would have lied for her. He wouldn't have like said the thing to Alison. Fair, said. Enough, fair I think enough, he's definitely enough. he's definitely an incel. Like, definitely. He, like, like, but he, like, I think he looks like... I don't know. He's as a man who looks like he does. He should be able to handle himself better. He has had a past. <laughs> he should know how to handle himself around women. I was so I was so annoyed. I was like, how can you tell the queen to come and run away with you to live in the free cities? Are you mad? Because you miss all the shots you don't take, Bankole. When great and look, as sports. a man, as a man whose life ambition <laughs> that's good, good shout out to the office. As a man yeah. whose life ambition is to find a successful woman and be a house husband, <laughs> she gave him. The option. I was like, I'm going to marry a king, but we're still going to have our thing going on on the side. This is a man who is currently the king's god, meaning he never even had ambition of having a family. That is a perfect. It's situation. the best he could have asked for. Sure. Loki secured the bag. Now that I think about you, it. you get to be the king's god, and you can still sleep with your love, who is the queen. Oh my god! Why are men fumbling the bag like this? What is going on? <laughs> I was so angry. Uh... I could not believe what this guy was doing. Ah! Oh. And then the final scene. You guys, I'm sure you guys talk about it more in depth, or maybe you would, I don't know. But you guys have different readings of that scene. Whatever. I think in some interviews, to be fair, Fabian Frankel, who plays um, mm-hmm. Kristen Cole, has said that he played Kristen Cole. He believes Kristen is kind of like a thug, and he's been hiding this thug all along, right? Which kind of makes sense how he explodes. I believe but too. you don't explode. I, I, why? This man just came and said, obviously you guys have different interpretations, but this guy came and said, look... We're both the king and future king and queen side pieces. We just have to like know what we're doing and protect each other and like share information. Basically, we just have to like allyship here, yeah, like like just, like side pieces unite. And then <laughs> next thing you know, this guy removes his face. I was like, why? And then also, also maybe even, maybe yeah. the most egregious thing, he's the worst suicider ever. That's a word. He wants to kill himself by stabbing his stomach. Is he mad? Like slash your throat. You've been watching too many Japanese Kurosawa films. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it wasn't a small. It wasn't. He wasn't using his sword. It wasn't like his dagger. Slash your throat if you're so annoyed. Oh, I was so. Because the the knife he wasn't even going to use was going to be so small. I was like, bro, you're not going to die from that. You're not going to die. Going to be in pain. (laughs) But let's not get to Alicent, whose entire thing. Obviously, I guess she's meant to be the villain, and this is who you guys know as the character, whatever. 
Fair enough. But her entire thing is that she wasn't involved in the tea. Like, she didn't get the WhatsApp gist. Are you, like, that's how, the only thing here is that she's jealous about Renera not telling her the truth about, about losing her virginity, essentially. Because yeah, that, is, that is her main issue here. I think she's, the issue, the issue is that she's kind of evolved into her full judgmental self. Because it's like, yeah, you lied to me, but also, like, you broke the rules. I think the thing with Alicent is she's always trying to herald the, <laughs> I guess, just the, just the general benefit of the rules, even, even if the rules aren't affecting her as well Fair. as she would like. Yeah. She's kind of like, well, this is the way it's supposed to be. So seeing Rhaenyra kind of thrive without following the rules it's kind of annoying to her it's like all those like african aunties that are always mm-hmm. asking people in like a gen- our generation <laughs> like when are you going to get married when are you going to get yeah, married yeah. when are you going to get married they just don't like the fact that they're seeing these young girls with so much money thriving without ha- without like yeah, needing yeah. a man because like they push them to get married because if they don't then it's like me who got married like this is it's kind of invalidating their experience <laughs> yeah not uh, not Alison being the Nigerianity because she is basically like point out that she's a Nigerian she's she 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 stepmother she didn't find out anything in this episode that invalidated what Renera said like not she not it's not as if Matt Smith came in looking all great I'm like yes we had sex everything like to our knowledge everything that Renera said is still true her only anger is, like you said, rules and all that, but also Renera didn't tell her. I don't know how she'd have reacted if yeah. Renera told her. I think it's just now a, a case where trust is gone because she's like, oh, it's like, oh, I thought it was just them, but now it's Kristen too, so who else have you been hooking up with? Now, we know it's ask, only... She didn't ask Renera if she... She didn't ask her, but like, you know, it's still like the fact that she doesn't know what her former friend is doing and she feels that like she can't trust a former friend. Especially since she feels alone now that her dad is gone, right? Yeah, yeah. Feels she's alone. Vulnerable. She feels she's very alone. vulnerable here. Like, she has yeah. no allies, which is why, you know, she and Kristen forming that alliance at the end is such a potent thing because they are two people who feel like they have nobody. And like Ned Stark once said, you know, there's nothing more dangerous than a guy with nothing to lose. That's, yeah. that's a very true sentiment. That's Kristen. Obviously, Fami, you alluded to the fact that there's a time jump. And I would say when you guys talk about the trailer, please don't, don't go too much into it because some people, some people uh, like yeah, me, yeah, yeah. I don't watch trailers for the next episode. But like, obviously, I'm excited to see Emma Darcy and what they would do. Um, Olivia Cook, she, she just warmed my heart in um, Slow Horses earlier this year. She's so, good. So she's gonna be, I can't wait to she's see her be good. incredibly evil next half. But like, honestly, if the first season was just these guys, like... I want to know what happens the day after this wedding. <laughs> do, you, do you get what I'm saying? Like, I want to see that story play. Obviously, we're not going to see it. We're going to do the time jump or whatever. But like, I would have signed up for that story. Give me, the, give me the next yeah. five episodes of like what happens here. Anyway, I think we might be able to paint a small picture. Oh, one, one thing I wanted to do before I leave. Did you guys like? So, did you guys know about Kristen Cole? Like, did you know, know this was coming? Is it in the books? Like, did you know that this was? Because uh, I've read it in the books. It's a bit different for how he kills Joffrey. I plead the fifth. Yes, yeah, so like is over there. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, like, I plead the fifth slightly because there's. I feel like there's still more to happen. Okay, then in that case, obviously, in that case, yeah. But, well, as far as the, the death goes, um, with Kristen Cole and um Joffrey Lonmouth, it was more a situation of like, um, Hyde was at its at the tournament. There was there was, a, there was a tournament for the mm. um um for the I guess the wedding between Lena and the wedding of Lena and and Rhaenyra, and I think Kristen. W- well, not Kristen. Damon was, I think, Rhaenyra's champion, and and um. Oh, Joffrey was, and and Joffrey was was champion to um to Lena. So they were kind of going together, and then everything was going fine. It was still like normal tournament behavior. Mm. Then out of nowhere, Kristen Cole shows up and beats him, and nobody knows why. And he hits oh. him in the face with a mace, 
right? The morning and then star, he, yeah. yeah, and he he literally like he doesn't die from that, yeah. but like, but he dies he six days down. later. Also, yeah, Kristen wasn't involved in the tourney when he killed when he killed Joffrey. Like, he wasn't like not really one on one. So essentially, like Joffrey was in that tournament, he was competing. Yeah. Like he wrote, he wrote for Aslino champion, like I said, and then. But Kristen wasn't competing. No, he wasn't. Her Rhaenyra's oh. champion wasn't Damon. It was it was Harwin Strong. Okay. And for unknown reasons, like he was attacked by Kristen Cole during the tournament, and he died yeah. six days later after that morning star wound because he cracked his helmet and left him comatose. So they kept the whole Kristen Cole breaks Leonard, um Joffrey Lonmouth's face, like he breaks it in and we just have it kind of more concise. And I think this is actually a really good adaptation for the show because then they would yeah. have had to do a whole new tournament and that would have taken more yeah. screen time. Yeah. Yeah. This basically achieves the same story beats without them having yeah. to do yeah. as much and we get like a really nice yeah. set piece And it also of it. fills in a lot of, a lot of the gaps. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that's what the show has been doing, right? You know, because as, as Afam has said a whole bunch of times, it's like we have different perspectives in these books and this show is kind of setting the record straight. You know, t- in the histories as we've read them in this book, Kristen Cole did this for unknown reasons, but now we know exactly why he did it. Why he did it? Because, yeah, I don't want to take too much of you guys' time. I I have more. I'm just. I have more thoughts about the fact that that, that was the woman that Damon has been insulting. I was like, Damon, <laughs> do you need glasses? Because I don't know what's going on right. Here. I'm like, yeah, that, that's the woman. He's it's been so insulting. sad. Even the way she mentioned the whole like sheep thing, like that just yeah. tells you how infamous his comments were because he said that in yeah. the small council in episode one. And here she is mentioning the years later. Like it got back to her, yeah. I mean, Westeros is gossip girl, so <laughs> excellent. Anyway, those are my thoughts on Chris. I'm sorry for ambushing you guys. Yeah, he obviously he just really pissed me off. I mean, just... hey, what did you call him again, Kristen? What? It's like Chrissy Pussy Call. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. That's something Logan Paul will say. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's like, oh, I was like, oh, why, why do men keep fumbling the bag? Anyways, um, yeah, you guys have fun. And please, 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 like, don't collapse until after the episode, like our boy Viserys, like, keep it, following Viserys' vein. It's okay, when they minutes. ask me if I need a chair, I'm going to say yes, so don't worry about me. <laughs> but Viserys, to his credit, waited till everything was done, waited till they go back to King's Landing, waited till the wedding, till he collapsed, like, he's a man who has his priorities. Yeah. Bro, have you seen that guy's arm? Have you seen his back? Was that, hmm. so that, was that grayscale? No, 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 no. It's basically the rot from that small cut in episode Jesus one Christ. on his finger. It keeps just festering and going up his arm. Yeah, yeah. And the maid says, keep putting leeches. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like it, it's, it's, it's basically the same thing. Like he lost two fingers and now the whole hand is kind of just like Yeah, rotting. I think, yeah, I think Re- Renee's noticed that he didn't have fingers when she held his hand. She 100% mm-hmm. did. That's why she yeah. paused. She was like, ah, yeah. what's going on here? Well, your hand is kind of light, bro. <laughs> your hand shit kind of light. <laughs> Anyway, uh, let me not take into guest time. You guys have fun. Um, enjoy the recording. <laughs> I guess now you can skip. You can skip Kristen Cole because I've given out all my thoughts. Oh, what a <laughs> terrible man! I hate him so much. Anyway, Bankale and Mokwede, everybody. <laughs> have fun. All right. So now that Bankale has released us from his um, the shackles of <laughs> the Kristen Cole agenda. <laughs> I challenge all the viewers to go back and anytime Van Cole says, I don't want to take more of your time, take a shot. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's get lit. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we started off, obviously the episode starts, now that we've addressed Kristen Cole, um, the episode starts off in the Vale of Iron and we see um, the bronze, his bronze bitch. And she's actually quite stunning. She's like riding a horse, going hunting. I was like, damn, bro. This is not what I was expecting. The kind of person you want to hang out with, right? You're, exactly, man. She seems so, so chill. Like, good vibes. Yeah, like, good honestly, vibes. 
I have a whole thing on this, so let me just. Let, 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 I've been trying to just deep what has gone on here, so um, I'm going to try and give some context. So first of all, one thing I really love in storytelling is when the unexpected becomes the obvious, right? Yeah. So when something occurs out of nowhere, good or bad, and it only makes perfect sense, it's a great telltale sign of like sharp writing. Yeah. Why? Because that's how life works. So. Kind of to mention industry again, like Zvakule did, like in in a recent episode of industry, I think it was at, um, episode six of like season two, which has been airing. Um, you get this obscenely rich guy, and his son is hanging out with the person he's seeing, and then all of a sudden, that person needs a ride to a family function because the train's out of service. Mm-hmm. So he calls his dad and asks him to send a car to take them to school. All well and good until Mister Rich Guy shows up himself, <laughs> and he's like, "One car is gonna handle his son's partner, and then and us." car is going to handle taking him and his son somewhere else and you're watching yeah. it like of course you should have expected that as a possibility like we know who yeah. this guy is we know like the context of this show we know how these people behave like when you really think about it, it's like of course this guy showed up himself because he wants to know what his son is actually up to so i'd yeah. say like the same thing is kind of happening here it's like when you rewatch game of thrones season three and suddenly become aware of the fact that tywin is writing and sealing letters like every other scene and Ruth Bolton <laughs> does not partake in alcohol, right? Suddenly <laughs> it makes the Red Wedding significantly less shocking. And I, it's, it's another thing here too, because like Damon can't get married to the heir to the throne and become that much closer to power. Okay. Mm-hmm. He kills his wife. Like nobody thought about this, but like what, what else would someone like Damon do? Like, of course he's going to go home and kill his wife. And I think we yeah. just need to really address this a little bit because Damon is, as we've said, arguably like the most famous guy in the realm, right? He has yeah. some serious accolades. People talk about his escapades and achievements, his bravado, his skill, all that stuff. And like we said um, after episode one, he's known as the prince of the city. He really gets into the murk with the people. And the fact that somebody like this could sneak into King's Landing on a dragon and get into what is supposedly the most secure room in the country, <laughs> like the Iron Throne room, sit down yeah. on the throne. That should be at least a little bit alarming to us. Like, yeah. I think we were supposed to be really impressed by that. And of course we were because it was foreshadowing. Because he yeah. literally does the exact same thing here. He, like, think about it. He most definitely flew here, right? His dragon is not small at all. This is, this is a very big dragon. He silently waited for Rhea Royce. He killed her and he left with full confidence that he would get away with it. <laughs> And when he started trying to interact with her horse, I started wondering, oh, is Caraxes like this dragon waiting in the back to roast right. her or something like that? Like, <laughs> it wasn't entirely clear whether he went there for the sole purpose of killing her, but mm. I think it's a little bit more than likely. And even if that wasn't his intention, he clearly saw an opportunity mm-hmm. and that final insult she hurls at him really clinches it. I mean, we've said a number of times this season that the book is based on, like the book that the show is based on Fire and Blood is written from conflicting perspectives. Um, and those conflicting perspectives are what come to be known as the overall truth slash rumor mill. So we can see from there that in all the histories, Rio Royce's death is actually billed as a hunting accident. And since we know that this show is setting the record straight with George R. R. Martin's direct input, we are essentially being told straight up that Damon <laughs> not only killed this lady, but got away with it so effectively that nobody in any of the history books mentions that he was even there. <laughs> like come on bro like this, oh. this is this is kind of mind-blowing because think about like you don't really think about it when you're watching it but bro this man flew here this is a small island he flew here on a dragon and nobody knows he's around a big ass dragon like the these people are brutal dragon. i mean 
there's some of the most entitled people in history and like that's how Damon behaves he just takes what he wants and like he's really behaving very badly and that's not that's in no small part because everybody treats them like dragon riding deities i mean yeah i promise at the beginning of this series that this was a lot more more of a violent time in the history of westeros and i think the probability of that really increases with every episode we see it reach a fever pitch here and i think a big reason for that is that they want to prime us for what's to come because you know how we said that we've been watching the prologue of the prologue well the prologue is starting and well uh, it's gonna get pretty testy i think everyone can accept at this point yeah, yeah, everyone can accept at this point that war is coming. I think we can all see it. Anybody who's watching can see that, like, they we're going to have some serious conflicts here. I hate to be the guy who says Otto was right, but Otto was right. But we'll get to him later again. Yeah. I don't know. What, what did you think of that scene? Like, I, I actually, I, I liked the whole scenery and everything. I thought it was really, yeah. like, cool how they showed Runestone and they showed, like, yeah. the lines that these people have and all that stuff. It, it was very well shot. Um, and obviously, it was, like, in classic Game of Thrones, you know, you introduce a character, kill them off, like, 10 seconds later. It's once I saw at first it took me like a second to realize who it was, but when she was riding, I, it was like, Who are the people who are most known for riding horses in Westeros? And she's so, so bronze, exactly. It's the irons in the veil. So I was like, Yeah, this is the veil. Oh, that's her. And then once I saw the hooded fellow, I was like, Yeah, this is where she dies. Damon actually kills her. But that was not my biggest Damon moment in this episode. My biggest Damon moment was realizing that Damon has a type. <laughs> his first person he hit on was his niece. Yep. And now at the wedding, which we'll talk about, obviously, later, is his other, well, I don't know if she's his niece or niece once removed, but basically he's, the, um, Le- is Lena the, is... Let's call him, she, let's, let's call her the, his, like, second cousin once removed. Yeah, sure. This is the same person that Viserys was complaining is too young. Yeah. And all of a sudden, her and Damon are having, you know, these conversations, and she's a bit more... She's flirting back. She's flirting back, but with I think with a lot more intent than Rhaenyra did. Oh, because 100%, she's also like, being smart about it. Lena knows and exactly like, what yes, she wants. Yes, black people. Yes, you know yeah. what you want. Like she, and she's, she's been a, she's been betrothed before, right? You know, we t- they talked about how um, Corlys was trying to betroth her to the son of the Sea Lord. Oh, bravos, yeah, and which, which is like a real thing. And mm-hmm. in all honesty, I think that um, Lena could be um, a good match for um, for Daemon, at least personality wise. Mm-hmm. Age-wise, well, I guess we're getting to a point where this is starting to become somewhat acceptable, but I'm still iffy. We'll see how and I also, feel like next episode. Family-wise, they call the same person grandpa. So, well, they have no, no. It's no, like the the same the guy who is da- great. Okay, so one's grandpa is the other's great great grandfather. Yes. Yeah. So Damon, like Jairus is Damon's grandfather. He's Lena's great grandfather. Great grandpa. So this family tree is now is it branched. It's circular, like you said. Hopefully, their the kids don't have lesions on their backs. <laughs> man at this rate everybody's getting legions on their back but yeah that was for me Damon's like most shocking contribution but you did bring up Otto Hightower earlier and you said that we shouldn't blame Otto or something but no I blame that man I mean I blame him I'm just saying that he was right on some level right well he was right because he's orchestrating it like it, exactly. it's like it's like imagine exactly. if I go outside and I punch someone I tell you Someone's gonna punch you in the face, and then I punch you in the face. Like, yeah, yes, because I did it, and it, that's what it, he's it's, doing. It's really dumb, and you know, yeah. I, I think you know, Alicent has been made to believe that she has no power against the quote unquote natural order of things. Does. But what if she actually tried training her son to respect his sister's claim? Like, yeah. she's being told by her father that that is not a viable option. But the two of them, the hand of the king and the queen, have more power than Anybody. perhaps any other two people in the country yeah. to shape yeah. the percept the perception of people in how this should work 
Viserys is trying to create a situation where they get rid of male primogeniture because he says that Rhaenyra's first child, regardless of gender, will be the heir to the throne. He's trying to do that. Of course, we talked before about how Viserys is not doing enough to ensure that this actually happens, right? But if these three people actually got focused, they could probably create a situation where people are like, I have to accept this or I die. There's no such thing as war because the prince himself is not going to want it. He's been trained to mm-hmm. accept that this is what the actual natural order, order of things should be because that's what yeah. he's been taught by his parents. But they don't do that yeah. because instead, you know, because I mean, the, the laws of the realm would probably butt in and they would try to go, get her to go the other way. But she has yeah. more sway over what Aegon believes. And I'm sure yeah. we're going we're to see him, obviously, as time goes on. He's still a toddler. But, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I think that, Alison doesn't realize any of this because she is such a rule follower. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about how she is judging Rhaenyra as the African auntie slash stepmother that she is. <laughs> and, you know, she is just this whole thing of I've suffered and come out well-mannered. So you have to as well. Like the kind of person who's like, yeah. my troubles have to mean something, even if that something yeah. has to come from the dismissal of other people's happiness. You know, it's yeah. a whole thing. And she feels she's alone. And that's why, you know, we get this really, really green situation. And, yep. you know, it really is an act of war because everybody on the groom's side is wearing gold. The Targaryens are wearing their own colors. Rhaenyra is wearing white because she's the bride. Even Daemon came in uniform wearing red and black. You know, mm-hmm. Daemon of all people. And then the queen, the king's wife, the, queen, the, the princess's stepmother, stepmother of the bride shows up wearing that green. And the high towers, you know, they have this really like, muted earthy palettes you know they have like these grays these slight browns and that kind of border around green and they only really use that strong green as laris strong says when they're calling their banners to war and the other high towers obviously know what it means because hobert her uncle is like we are with you exactly it's like and, and, and you're like okay with with her for what like what are you people planning and that's how you know like these people want to start a war just be- yeah. and can you imagine trying to start like a generations-long conflict that will span an entire continent because your bestie lied to you. (laughs) I'm trying to be sympathetic here, but bro, people are going to die, you know? And it was a great, like I said, great moment, beautiful dress, but you can see that this is the turning point. Like this is obviously the turning point of the season. We're halfway through, crazy to think that we really are halfway through this season. But it's also the turning point for Alison's character because now she's really becoming that person. She's becoming the person who is kind of cold and calculating. We talked before about how Rhaenyra is kind of a cross between Arya and Daenerys, right? And I think now we can point out that Alicent is sort of a cross, in my mind, between Marjorie and Cersei. And so far, she's been a lot more Marjorie. that is she's a, that. she's about to become a whole lot more Cersei and people need to kind of prepare for that and yeah. this is and this is just not even be, not even because of anything that's going to come in the story this is just based on the way um Emily Carey really carries that performance this um in this episode like you really see her going through all kinds of emotions you see her having that emotional conflict and then we see that the conflict is sort of resolved for her when Kristen tells her what he should not be telling her you know, creating yeah. his own danger. So, and, and, and that's why it's easy to form for them to form that that alliance, so to speak. But yeah, wh- what what did that? What kind of spoke out to you when you were watching that? Well, I, I think it's very important to look at um, the portrayal of Alison Hightower by um, Emily Carey, and I challenge everyone to go back and watch the first episode and watch the last, the most recent episode because if you remember, she was always nervous picking up her nails, and now 
when she walked into that throne room, that was not the same character. That person was not sure. Of, that character development, baby. Character development. And that person had grown into the person who she will be for the rest of the, the, the season and the rest of the show, you know, as long as that character is part of the story of, of Westeros. But, the, you know, there's, um, I, I've, been, I've been doing a lot of thinking about forgiving Viserys for all his anti-agendas. And one of the <laughs> things that, um, that stood out to me, so to go into the genealogy and the lore a bit more, when the old king called the great council to decide who was going to be the next king after he dies, it basically came down to basically two people. It was Corrid's Valerian's wife, um, Rhaenyra. Is her name Rhaenyra? Rhaenys. Rhaenys, thank you. Corrid's Valerian's wife, Rhaenys, and um, Emma's husband, Viserys. So Viserys and Rhaenys. Now, Jaehaerys' older son was the father of Rhaenys, and his younger son was the father of Viserys. So the whole claim that he's trying to push forward that um, his daughter, Rhaenyra, should be the um, ruler after him is a direct contradiction to the exact same rule that brought him into power. So it's yes. almost like you can't eat your cake and have it. Like the exact same system which you exploited to give you this position. I mean, to, I don't know, to some degree, did he exploit it or did he just like take advantage of it? I don't know. He, I mean, that he, exact he benefited from it. Is, we can we can say it that yeah, way. Yeah, he benefited from he benefited he benefited from it. So that exact same system is what is propel is not what he's trying to all, all of a sudden clean up with you know by his daughter's succession. And on to his credit, he is sticking by his decision to name Rhaenyra as heir. And I do appreciate you know standing by you know your daughter, but at the same time, you're not doing you could do more to secure her claim to the throne. Like yep. Otto said, Otto is trying to blame Rhaenyra and all these other kind of things, but it's Viserys' fault for, for falling for Otto's games and having other children to challenge his heir. Yep. That decision is going to haunt. Yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> going to be a battle of, of birthrights, essentially. And speaking of Literally. which, uh, speaking of Viserys, Paddy Consident is great in this episode. He's good. He's so good. He's really He's so like, 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 I'm like, Paddy, are you good? Like, are you actually sick? You know, like <laughs> the whole like feeling weak, like not having yeah. not having real strength. The way that yeah. he kind of it looks so vulnerable in his room yeah. towards um towards the end of the episode when he's talking to Lionel, who by the way is an excellent choice for hand, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe he has his own game Good going decision. on, but at the but at the very least, he's the one person who's always given giving it to him straight. Good like, advice, and he said it to him like, "Yeah, you're right as always," because. Lionel is always right. I mean, not always, I'm sure, but like, you know, he's... Well, he needs to, he needs to pay attention to his Hophni and Phineas looking at sons, but <laughs> still, I, 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 feel, I feel that, that Paddy really captured the range of Viserys' internal conflicts in this episode, you know? Yeah. We, right from the beginning where he's on this ship, he's clearly seasick, but you know it's something worse than that as well. They get to High Tide, um, which, um, by the way, is... You know, it, it's sort of different from Driftmark as we're, as we're used to mentioning it. I mean, the Velaryons, as we've established numerous times, are very wealthy. Um, Corlys has picked up so many things on his various voyages, um, nine voyages, as, as they call them. And he has actually built this place from scratch. Most of the castles, especially something like Winterfell, that we see in Game of Thrones world is very... I mean... Most of the castles that we see in Game of Thrones world are very old. They are very ancient and they've been around for centuries, if not thousands of years. Um, Winterfell, like I said, is a good example of this. The Red Keep is fairly new. It's only been around like a hundred years, but High Tide is even newer. Like Corlys has taken the wealth that he's amassed 
and he's built what is essentially a modern mansion. And you can see that in the architecture. It's very Byzantine. I mean, a lot of the architecture in House of Dragon is sort of Byzantine influenced. But I think looking at the way Corliss's castle is with the spiral staircases, the colors, you can see like, you know, the blue, the seashells, the seahorses, these paintings, like it's so elaborate. And he has all these little things from his, you know, from all his journeys that are kind of like a museum to his own greatness. And then you have that driftwood throne in the middle, which, I mean, kind of a lore point is the fact that the legend says the Merlin King, like the King of the Mermaids, gave that throne to the Velaryons. And that's the chair he's sitting on. So to kind of bring that full circle, Viserys walking in, not being greeted by Corlys, but being brought to Corlys' own throne room is a serious power move because he's still very bitter about what has been going on. And he wants to see that the king is here to make amends. The king even compliments, um, you know, the halls of high tide and everything. And I commend um, Paddy for really playing that very diplomatically. Like you can see that there's a lot going through his mind. You can see how he's kind of hiding what's going on because that, that's obviously kind of a big trend in this series so far. Like Viserys just pretending that he's fine. It's like, bro, <laughs> you're not okay. Like, I, do you know that we know that you're not okay? <laughs> like, you're clearly not fine. And those and speaking of which, Grandmaster Melos is a he's, he's, that guy is shady, right? There's like, so many shady people. There's a part of me that wonders if the things Melos is giving this guy are just designed to not actually help him. <laughs> Bro, how do you get a cut on your finger and now your arm is about to fall off? What is going on? Like, my part of me wants to be like, okay, what's wrong with your immune system? What's wrong with your red blood cells? But then I remember that his parents yeah. were siblings. Uh, I don't know. No, no, no. It's not just that his parents were siblings. His <laughs> parents were siblings. His grandparents were siblings. His great grandparents, I think, were cousins, and then the ones before those were siblings, and then yeah, yeah, inbreeding gang. So, so I, yeah, yeah, I mean, anyway, bottom line, Paddy is good, and you know, I think we see Viserys go through a lot here when he eventually lands on the ground. I think that's kind of symbolic as well because that's the point where he finally breaks, right? Mm-hmm. And that's also the point where all the peace that has been building for these many, many years of him on the throne are going to break as well, like. It is yeah. during times of peace that the seeds of war are sown. So that was like the first line in the book. The dynamics between Corleys and Rainies is one of my favorite. They're like literally couple goals. And Rainey said something to him that stuck with me about how like, because Rainies obviously could have been the queen, but she right. passed over for her cousin. And he's trying to get justice for her still. Yeah, but she has gotten over it. And because she can be able to see, she's not as blinded by ambition as he is. That she is, So she's able to see that the same people who passed over me are still alive now. Exactly. Why do you think they're, go- they're, go- they're not going to pass over Rhaenyra? Like, why do you think they're just going to be so willing and to And not only that, it? you're putting our son in danger. Exactly. Now you're putting our son in danger. because He's not going to thrive. We will be bound. Exactly. We will be bound by whatever decision the, the, the lords and the ladies of Westeros make about Rhaenyra's succession. So she's obviously hesitant. And I feel like she's expressed a lot of hesitancy throughout the, the series. She was hesitant to marry her daughter to the king, even though she agreed with the decision. She was hesitant again to marry her son to the queen because it's like, who wants to be on the losing side of a conflict? She kind of just wants to be on like on her own with her family. Let them all exactly. just live in peace. Let's exactly. sort of break away from this whole Targaryen thing. Let's be allies, exactly. but let, we don't exactly. have to marry into it. Exactly. I, I think that's sort of her own way of saying look, none of this is really worth it. Like, exactly. it's not worth the stress. Yeah. But I don't think he quite sees that yet. Like, not him yeah. really out here saying, 
Lena will grow out of it. He's not outgrowing anything, my brother. Like <laughs> he's really not. And um, it's like I, I think one of the when I think about how both characters grew up, you know, Rainey's grew up the first, the only child of the heir up to the Iron Throne. Corlys, so you know, she grew up a rich girl. But Corlys built his wealth. So it's like from Rainey's, there's an element of content that I believe can grow up with that can come with growing up in comfort. Whereas Corlys has been a hustler. He built everything he, he has. Like you said, he built his entire cast mansion, which who does that? You know, no one does that. So it's, um, he, he's like trying to go for the next step. And the next step will be having children named Valerians who will be the heirs to, you know, to the, to the Iron Throne. And that's like ambition. And yeah, he's, he's trying to go for the magis and he's blindly being like, Oh yeah, my son will change. But like, I love how Rhaenys is able to see, no, that's, that's not our son's nature. And I think Rhaenys is someone who like Loki, I haven't talked about that much in the, in the, in the series, but one of the more interesting characters in this time period of, of Westerosi history, she's probably up there in my top five characters. I do also like that we see her writing Melis in this episode very briefly. Um, but yeah, you were talking about, um, Lionel's son. What is it? Her, Harwin Strong. Is that his name? Harwin Brickbones is the strong one, yeah. Yeah. That look that his dad gave him when he was yeah. like, all right, they're not fighting. <laughs> no, Go no, end this that, now. That, that was, was actually like, yeah. very funny because he's that like, he's, so he's, he's, it's like Lana was just like, ugh, all right. And then he just gives him that look. And then this dude goes <laughs> in and starts like bulldozing through people. Like literally, like, damn, bro. I was, I was like, like wow. I mean, I guess they, they're really making good on the promise that he is the strongest in the realm. I mean, that's why they yeah. call him Brickbones. He's supposedly yeah. the strongest knight in Westeros at this time. Yeah. But I actually want to get into his brother because... I was about, I was about to say. <laughs> I think it is worth um, pointing out <laughs> that second son, Larry Strong, uh, we shouldn't really take for granted the fact that he was one who told Alicent about the tea. What are your thoughts yeah. on this? I, it's, it's giving Littlefinger vibes, honestly. It's, uh, he is play, he, he, the way he just, he knew what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew, and he knew what to say. He knew when to say. He timed it in just the perfect time to get, you know, um, um, uh, what's her name? Allison asking questions. And those questions are eventually the questions that led, um, Incel Daddy Kristen to <laughs> confess for no reason. So it's we're just seeing like it's important to treat not to treat the symptoms but the source. Mm-hmm. Now the source of all this conflicts in this episode between um um Alicent and you know wearing the green dress blah blah, blah started with Clubfoot. Uh, Clubfoot is the nickname for the other strong son. I'm always going to say Clubfoot. I don't I don't even know what his name is. But his name is Clubfoot. Laris, but yeah, let's do Clubfoot. That that went into one ear. Out the other, he's never called <laughs> but yeah, uh, Laris, I guess you know, was because I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I felt like I felt a bit for Allison in this in this episode. Her dad got fired because she chose her best friend, and her best friend lied to her, you know. So, and now all of a sudden she's alone, and it reminds me of Sansa when Ned got executed. You know, you're stuck in this foreign land. Um, well, Sansa wasn't married to Joffrey, but like she's betrothed to the king. Obviously, you see, it's not love marriage; it's for duty. But she has her children, and the last thing her dad says to her is that. You cannot put your children in the viewpoint where their de- their existence depends on whether or not Rhaenyra decides to kill them. You know, so he he does have a good point there, but like again, he started this whole thing, so he shouldn't make it seem like oh, it's Rhaenyra's. You know, I'm, I have my Rhaenyra agenda, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's sucky. It's 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 a, it's a sucky situation for Allison, and I a part of me does feel for like the situation should be put in, but at the same time, man, just because I. You know, war is, George talks about this a lot of time, that who really wins at a, when a war happens? It's just conflict, people die. Like, think about the War of the Five Kings. There were five people fighting for the throne, and all five of them died, like, by season five. You know, so it's like, 
So who won that war? I mean, Bolanis has won the war. Obviously. Every single one of those guys died. All of them died. Because Melisandre put leeches into fire. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Renly's death actually was, was wild. Like, can you just imagine being in a shadow just comes out? Like, what do you see? Like, it wasn't me. It was a shadow that came out from the fire. Like, it, who it, would you believe it, that? It reminds one? me of actually something that people have been saying about this episode, which is slightly different, um, of course, from what you were just saying. But it's um, because with, with this episode, we are seeing a gay character go through something very, very brutal to advance the narrative of a straight one. Mm-hmm. And that's something that Hollywood does a lot. I yep. think it's something worth acknowledging. Um, the reason what you're saying reminds me of this is because Renly Baratheon was a gay guy who was literally killed <laughs> by a shadow monster birthed from heterosexual <laughs> sex that was black magic with his brother who hated him oh. partly because he was gay so literally that is so apt i feel like that should be the intro just that that like, Uncle, no more toilets that's okay i went to use the bathroom once and all of a sudden that's the first thing i, now, I hear when i take to the episode now literally we we've we've moved bathroom breaks to like before and after we come on this thing because ain't no trust in these streets anymore but yeah i i i think that's something worth What's seeing? I mean, because of course there is a story reason why Joffrey should go through what he went through. Yeah, I think he made a good point to Lenor in that they should kind of understand what's going on between their paramours. I mean, it's sort of an open secret, Lenor's true nature, as they call it here, yeah. right? But Rhaenyra's own paramour is not something that was known. So once it was figured out, it's like okay, so now we have some power in this little arrangement too. Yeah, I mean, knowing that would have been one thing. And on some level, I'm okay with the idea of him going to talk to Kristen about it. Yeah. But there's just something kind of overplaying your hand about yeah. the way he yeah. did it. I agree. Because Kristen is going through a lot. I mean, we told him to be afraid of his life. Turns out he listened to us. <laughs> and he's standing there. He's supposed to be on watch. But he is like sort of losing his mind here, right? He doesn't mm. know what he needs to to do to to survive he doesn't know if Alison's going to change her mind and have him executed yeah. gelded like it, it's a whole thing and you know this guy's saying what he says i mean you really see Kristen shook like after yeah. that guy walks away he he's yeah. he's go he's going through it and yeah. as we've, we've said like he he does kill him in a very brutal way but the the issue there i think is is kind of like is he treating the gay man as dispensable like would would Kristen have been as angry and as brutal if it wasn't someone like Geoffrey Longmouth that came and said what he said? Yeah. You know, I think people are thinking about this in, in the sense that, like, you know, people hoped that Lena's introduction might show that House of Dragon is doing things a little bit differently um, yeah. from Game of Thrones in terms of um, LGBTQ representation. But yeah. it's sort of like bringing in a sense of homophobic panic that yeah. we tend to see in in Western TV and and film, you know, Kristen is rightly panicking and he's he's outraged and you know he has guilt and anxiety over breaking his oath as a member of the King's Guard because he's worried that he may have done it for nothing. But in the end, what we have here, like sto- again, I, I've said all the story reasons make sense. I, I I don't think this could have played out any other way. But I think it is worth acknowledging that this sequence still kind of shows in the end a man after being approached by a gay man that knows his secret beating the gay man to death <laughs> so like literally yeah. that's the tagline that, that, that's, that's just the thing we that's have to point out i mean we don't, we don't we don't we don't necessarily have the answers to these questions but i think it's worth sort of pondering them 
because yeah. they are shaping the way we view this world mm-hmm. and it's, a, it's supposed to be a reflection of our world on some level because yeah. i know that i mean this podcast after with 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 this show and with the rings of power we're basically fantasy for dinner at this point yeah. <laughs> as Aya said but so so we we do love our fantasy here but um it's worth noting as always that the fantasy in this show is structured in a way that that is mirrored in our own world so so yeah that's that's kind of what I've been feeling regarding that. Yeah. It's like, I think that there are, there are different ways to see. One of the ways that like I saw when I saw it was like, it's like Will Smith and, um, and what's his name? Um, who's the guy he slapped? Chris Rock. <laughs> Chris Rock. You know, people have been clowning Chris, um, Will Smith forever. And, you know, it's the straw that broke the camel back, camel's back. There was just that one person that happened to be there. And he just yeah. grabbed that one person and like slapped him. And in this case, and that's why I feel like Joffrey overplayed his hand. Yeah, he, he, so Joffrey had no idea what state of mind Kristen was in. The only thing as like, as an observer, like, you know, who's screaming at the, what the character should do to at the TV is I was like, wait until you see no more about this person to, you can know what's important to him and leverage yourself. But, you know, at the, at the same time, it's like, well, William Falkland said the only thing worth writing about is a human heart in conflict with itself. And, you know, co- What's it? Incel Daddy is obviously scared and he's conflicted about his position. Big man Chris. <laughs> Big, man, <laughs> Big man Chris is obviously, he's, he's on the edge. He's obviously suicidal because it's almost like, this is almost like beat up someone to go kill yourself. That was his plan until, you know, Allison showed up like, you know, yeah. switch, showed up and made him switch teams like Robin Van Persie when he broke my heart. Yeah, it's like he has to lash out somehow. Yeah, he right? literally just had to lash out somewhere. I can't, it's like, I can't kill Lenor. I'm not going to kill Rhaenyra. This secret has to die with me, so I'm gonna yeah. die. And bro, it turns out since you know too, you're gonna have to die you're as well. Die too. Yeah, but the so way that he, happened, bro, looking at so the screen, brutal. I seen a hole in this guy's face. It, it was so brutal. Like I literally, like I kind of looked away, and then when I knew what happened, I just went back and watched it again, and I was just cringing the whole time. But we're finally at the wedding scene. We've mago mago that way, and we are at the wedding. <laughs> Maybe at some point we need to ra- sit down, list all the weddings in Game of Thrones and rank them from the most peaceful to the most chaotic. Yeah, cause, cause because weddings are always great in Game of Thrones. Always like, chaotic always in well. Game of Thrones. Literally, yeah. the only good wedding that I can think about in Game of Thrones, op- I mean, we're thinking about like what? The Red Wedding, the Purple Wedding, which is where Joffrey died. Robin to Lisa. But that was very secret. Exactly. And there was one mister. And they died for it. So I don't know if it yeah, even counts. Yeah, they literally died to it. From Rhaegar <laughs> to Lyanna. It's like, Weddings are just like, man, they always end in tears. And this was another one. And like the beauty I love about, like, there's a lot to be said in the wedding scene. We can, we can talk about, you know, um, Alison's entrance. We talk about Viserys, you know, speech. We talk about, you know, um, um, Howling Strong's older son, you know, um, Breakbones be, being a badass. We could talk about the beating. But what I love the most about this episode was how we started off with all these grandiose. But at the end of the day, after all the death and the violence, it was a shotgun wedding. It was literally... All right, everyone, get the fuck out of here. We need a maester. We need the parents of the bride. We need the parents of the groom. Um, I think Alicent might have been there in that scene. I don't remember. And we're like, mm-hmm. all right, everyone, get married. And the second the, the vows were over, obviously, Lena was, I felt for him, man, to just sit, stand up on the front to see your partner beaten and dead in front Quite of you. Quite literally, because, Such I mean, a, there was no way they were going to have the week-long feast that Viserys just promised after yeah, all exactly. this. Yeah, exactly. It was just exactly. not going to happen. So, he, and so he's like, gonna that's not going to happen, but... 
we are still we're doing this married. wedding though so i guess yep. we're just gonna have to do it like we're in vegas or something like yep. it's, it's so just literally just did the shotgun wedding and viserys passed out the second he was done and i think that is the, one of the scenes that made me um, put aside my viserys agenda because you know everyone is human at the end of the day but it's like this is like the second time no third time that he's planning some exact um, um, you know extravagant feast and it just goes and it just doesn't go well from the tournament to the hunt and to this wedding so viserys is Yes, Viserys is making bad decisions, but Viserys is also going through a tough time right now. Homeboy is, he's struggling, yeah. I mean, speaking of bad omens that are looming around Viserys, am I the only one who's not seen this rat? <laughs> that rat was. No, there's a rat. Like, <laughs> first rat of all, <laughs> it was on and their I live bed. in New York, there are rats everywhere here. I sense them. <laughs> like, it was on their bed, and then it shows up right at the end. Like, the, the final shot of this episode is a rat coming up to lick Joffrey Lomont's blood and eat his oh, brains. Yeah. Like yeah, that was, what that on was, earth? Because yeah. of course, Kristen was beating him with a with a hand that was wearing a gauntlet, right? So yeah, that was it. Was it, bloody, it was man. really like it was really like some mincemeat type of stuff. It was really weird. It was. It was and brutal. Yeah, I, I there was no there was no choice but to marry them the way it happened. And then Alicent comes through and pulls the switch, the, the transfer of the of the season, the a last minute, you know, like last minute just before the transfer deadline. You know, make a transfer, and then she she obviously stops him, says Sir Kristen, and that stops yeah. him, and then that's where the last that's going to be very him. interesting. I remember yeah. knowing this would come. I remember, you know, that first episode where he's asking for Rhaenyra's favor, favor, yeah, and Alison is standing there, and they're both like, "Oh, this guy is cute," and I'm just like, "Wow, yeah." Oh. If only y'all could see the future like I can, because because <laughs> I, I, I knew people were like. Obviously, shipping Renira and and Big Man Chris from the beginning. Yeah. But the way he was, I knew he was going to love her, but also kind of be in cahoots with Allison at some point. Yeah. And seeing how that has happened, it really brings a real tragedy to it. But it does. I mean, on, in all honesty, this wedding, I don't know. We, we Like you said, we might have to do a bit of a ranking as, as to how brutal some yeah. of these um, so, yeah. World of Ice and Fire weddings have been. But yeah. On a lighter note regarding the weddings, I think the dance that they did was an interesting touch. I think the direction yeah. of the episode yeah. was great. It was cool. Um, you know, we've we've heard many times that the, the people in this world dance at their celebrations. You know, mm-hmm. we have references for that in the form of memories in the minds of people like Ned Stark and a lot of other people. You know, mm-hmm. so it's cool to actually see that level of dancing, people really celebrating. And yeah. I'm sure they had to toe the line a bit between making sure it didn't look ridiculous and like also ensuring that it didn't look too modern. You know, yeah. so I think they did a good job. And in fact, speaking of the dance, God bless Ramin. I haven't said that in a while. Yeah, we should. God bless Ramin. Because it's always like a joy that. to be reminded that he doesn't just do the non-diegetic sounds of the show, like theme song and the score and stuff like that. He's also writing the diegetic stuff, the stuff that the characters can hear. So the music that we're listening to there, like they went to Ramin and they were like, we need something that's going to be playing in this scene. And he's like, all right, cool. Bet. And then he gives them this, the same way he gave us Jenny of Holstones, the same yeah. way Bear and the Maiden Fair came up, the same way Reigns of Casimir. Like, this man yeah. is on his game. It's really like, good. HBO miss. is doing a good job because they have um, Ramin and they have Nicholas Bretel, like for Succession. Nicholas Bretel on Succession is, the two of them together, like, like literally they're carrying each other. They're, they're honestly like my favorite, they're my favorite composers. Like, Hanzima, I respect you, but exactly. these guys have my heart. <laughs> but I think Ramin trained under Hans, actually, or I'm 70% sure that he trained that under Hans. That would be Hans. amazing. And it's possible. I mean, yeah. Ramin is German. Um, yeah. That would be interesting. In fact, I'm like 90% sure that he trained under him. Like, on some, even so he, he, comp- he, he worked with him on some of his earlier compositions. Please don't fact check me, Sha. <laughs> but, yeah. Speaking of, uh, of production, actually, um, 
the same person who directed this episode is the one who directed the previous the last one. Episode, yeah. And um, Claire Kilner did a fantastic job with that. I think yep. she's she's been trying she's been trying to sort of point out the points of view of the marginalized. She showed the whole um, brothel scene through Renera's point of view in a way that I thought was very effective. And she's kind of showing the pain of Lena in this yeah, I felt in this episode in, 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 in a very effective way too. I felt for him. Yeah, because you, you really see, we, I would have hoped that, you know, on some level we could see these guys just be happy just a little bit. Like, yeah. no, like you, you kind of feel like you, these guys are in danger. They could probably die, but it's like, okay, maybe they'll enjoy a bit. But, you know, you don't yeah. get to see much of that. I mean, we, we saw them together at, like, at the Stepstones. And yeah. these are clearly skilled fighters. But, you know, as, I guess, unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be here. But still, the direction yeah. was, was great. And, beautiful. you know, very well done. Because honestly, a, a scene like that is very difficult to shoot. I mean, I think they did it over like 10 days. There's so many moving parts. All the food on the tables was real. Like they got like they had a specific butcher that was gonna do every single thing for them. They would order more and more meats. Like you have meats, fruits, pastries. They had a home economics person specifically there for this scene. I mean, yeah. the banners, they use the same throne room set. I mean, they really transform this place. The attention to detail is beautiful. And it's so immersive for the actors, which is why they're able to give such amazing performances. And that in yeah. turn leads to something amazing that we yeah. can watch. Yeah, Claire Kelma did a good job. So we've we've come from two back to back very very good episodes from Claire Kilner and like my favorite person in the whole House of the um, Game of Thrones House of um, the Dragon my favorite director Mikhail Sapochnik is coming back to direct two episodes back to back now Sapochnik is who did um, Battle of the Bastards I'm pretty sure he did Hard Home he did um he did uh, the Winterfell battle he he does the battles basically and he did episode one of House of the Dragon he did episode one of House of the Dragon so he's like my favorite Game of Thrones director and he's coming back for two episodes. The next one up coming up is The Princess and the Queen, and the one after is Driftmark. Now, The Princess and the Queen is a novella, something like that. That was Th That's the, the original book. novella I mentioned that this yeah. is based on, where Fire and Blood kind of brings the new perspectives, but this is kind of that exactly. omniscient look. Yeah. Also, you're finally getting the time skip. And in the courtyard, I'm not going to talk specifics on who is there and what the two the players are, but we see um, Rainier with... Probably Aegon is grown up and all his other siblings. I think he has <laughs> literally. <laughs> it was very poetic. That was poetic, yeah. yeah. But yeah, man, like this episode is beautiful and there's so many things that like I'm so excited to see what the future holds. But the most exciting part about this episode for me was the trailer for episode six and knowing who is directing it, the time skip. The story is about to start. The prelude is over. No, the pre the prelude to the prelude is over, and now we're in the prelude for one of the most violent periods in Westerosi history. And it's really excited, brutal, people. Like, is, is buckle up, <laughs> buckle up, buckaroo, because this is going to be something. Yep, it's going to be good. And that is honestly all from us today, folks. Um, thank you so much for listening up until this point. Um, we actually want to give special thanks to everybody who's been following with us on this series. Uh, we've gotten a lot of amazing feedback. Please keep it coming. Let us know what you want to hear, what you want us to explore. Like, share, and subscribe on social media. Follow this podcast. We have a lot more stuff that's being covered. The Rings of Power is going pretty well um, for what we hear. We also would like to thank Bankali 
But yeah, we all hope you and you enjoyed his surprise cameo in this episode to rant about big man Chris. <laughs> um, little little does Bankale know there's probably going to be a few more rants about big man Chris coming up. So <laughs> let's see how that goes. Uh, yeah. Um, join us next week when we discuss House of Dragon um, season one, episode six. I will be joined by none other than the one and only Daniel Kaluuya. I'm so glad he's not busy next week. Ugh. Oh yeah, I know. It, it took a while to actually, you know, to organize this meeting, but it's going to be a, a fruitful conversation. We just have one week for him to watch the whole of Game of Thrones. The whole <laughs> of and read all the books. But we believe in him. Yeah, let's hope he does. All right, later. Bye.